Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Folly Coffee Podcast. If you haven't done so already, I ask that real quick here, you just pause, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, and if you've liked any of the previous episodes or this episode, please give us that five-star rating. It helps us greatly. Thank you, and enjoy this episode. Hey, this is Rob. This is episode 92 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. All right, I am here with Colin from Zoe's Cafe, and the first time we met in person, it's always interesting meeting with somebody to do a coffee tasting, because you never know quite what you're getting into, and after just taking a few spoonfuls, you started providing some tasting notes, and I go, oh, we're about to get into it here, we're about to dig into these coffees, and I was like, wait a second, who is this guy? Like, what is going on here? And so I want to have you in today. Obviously, uh, anyone who knows of Zoe's Cafe is thinking, wait, I thought Zoe's Cafe closed in Uptown. And so I want to discuss a lot of what happened there and the future plans moving forward, because obviously 2020 was extremely disruptive. So I think it'll be really cool to talk about, like, how did that go down and then the plans moving forward? But first, I want to get into, like, who the heck are you? (laughs) Because I know very little about you. We've met a few times planning the coffee program we're going to be launching at Zoe's, but I want to hear your coffee story, how you first got into coffee, and then just like everything else about you around that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm excited to be here, so thanks for having me, Rob. And that's, uh, there's a lot to say. So we'll start with with my coffee story. But, uh, um, man, to, I, I grew up, I did not drink coffee at all. Uh, and so I've come a long way since then. And I can remember after I graduated college, I was living in Uptown. And I had a couple of college friends I was living with and they, they both drank coffee and I, you know, they, they would brew coffee every morning and sit around and drink it. I was like, well, a little curious, what is this, what is this thing they're doing? In my mind, coffee was gross and bitter and had no experience. And I can remember drinking uh, some leftover coffee one time and I would, I would run down to LA fitness, which is like a mile away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first time I had coffee and I was running down to the gym, I felt like I was flying. It was the most <laughs> amazing experience. I was like, man, what is this stuff? I got to start drinking it. <laughs> How is this legal? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I was drinking probably bad coffee for a little while. Um, it's not something I did every day. And one of my friends, one of these roommates, uh, would once in a while buy some Intelligentsia coffee. And I didn't know anything about anything at that point. And I, I tried some and it had this sensation in my mouth. And I was like, oh, this, this isn't just coffee. What, like, what is this sensation? And now I know that, that you know, people describe that as brightness or some kind of acidity. And I didn't have a palate. Uh, I just could feel this thing that was a little different. And uh, oh, I loved it. And I, you know, uh, the bad waitress was pretty close to where I lived. And I, I found out one time there that they had this coffee that also had that sensation uh, and so I'd go and drink Spy House coffee sitting around there. And it's kind of how it started. You know, I was like, oh, there's these different flavors. There's this different thing I'm feeling in my mouth, and I like it. Let, let me dig into this more. What What's going on? Uh, so that's kind of how it got started. Then 2016, I, I moved to Brazil to teach English for a year. And that's where I had my first shot of espresso. Um, 
So it's kind of like a slow coffee journey. You'll see. If it's, if it's such an aggressive place to have your first shot ever of espresso. Most people are like, yeah, I had it, didn't like it here. I tried a different cafe. You're like, I was in Brazil having my first shot. And I, I, that experience, have you heard the term like God cup or uh, God shot before? Yeah. I, that's, yeah. I love stories like that because that's exactly what happened to me. I was down in St. Louis, went into Sump Coffee, had that first cup of a naturally processed Ethiopian yogurt chef. And I was like, wait, like what is going on here? Cause it was the same for me, just drinking coffee. Cause you're like, Oh, this gets me up and going. And then you have that first cup, that God cup, that God, that God shot. And like, I love when the story starts like that. So you're teaching down in Brazil. What was it like to get that first shot of espresso? I didn't even know what I was drinking. You know, it was this little concentrated thing of coffee. I thought I had discovered what coffee was and you know, the way I was drinking it through a you know filtered coffee in the U S was very different from espresso. And obviously you can get espresso in the U S and I just had never done that because I wasn't in the cafe culture. I uh, didn't have that exposure. And so it was another kind of wow moment in equal to that first taste of kind of bright acidic coffee. Uh, it was another wow, like, Oh my gosh, this is what coffee can be like too. Like, let me learn more. And so when I was down there, um, Shout out to the, the Minneapolis Hennepin Library, library system that you can check out things online and read it on a Kindle or on your computer or whatever. I would like check out books about coffee uh, and got some books on Amazon. And I was down there and I was reading about coffee, um, like how to brew it, what it what it is, how it's roasted. You know, I had, I had starting at zero. So anything I was reading was new and interesting to me. And that's, so that's just kind of how it started. You know? did, did you have a, anyone else around you during this time that like was sharing this fueled passion with you? Or was this something you're just like totally doing on your own? No, this was just my, my private life. Me, <laughs> well, me by myself <laughs> in my head, you know? It's, and like, what did your friends or those around you think about you getting like way into this? So interestingly, um, you know, Brazil is the, the biggest exporter of coffee in the world, but m- the specialty coffee in Brazil uh, well, now it's probably different. You know, that was five years ago I was down there, but it was almost non-existent. You know, most of their coffee, they would export it and then re-import roasted beans from, you know, say Italy, these kind of classic Italian big roasteries. Um, they also roasted coffee in Brazil too, but specialty was non-existent so far. And so when I was reading about this and about this whole world and kind of cafe culture, uh, I should also add, I was living in a small town outside of Rio, uh, I was teaching English at a the agriculture university. So it was it's kind of this rural uh it's literally called the rural university of Rio. Uh and so it, you know there there was no there was like one cafe in town and it was at a gas station and a lot of people drank coffee through uh a little cloth filter on a hoop and it was just, you know, or they used mocha pots. Yeah. Was, that was my first experience with a mocha pot um or stovetop espresso maker. Yeah. But aside from that, and, uh, you know, the coffee culture there is, is sort of like you'd, you'd make it co- concentrated, but it wouldn't be espresso. And you'd have a little bit with all your friends at, you know, some time of the day. It, it is an interesting phenomenon that you do see that a lot of countries that export a lot of coffee, they're actually not into the specialty high grade themselves. And we've seen some really great coffees coming out of Brazil recently, especially since they've had like the, uh, the gold cup or the, is it the gold cup competition. I'll think of it later. This will bother me that I can't think of Cup it. Cup of Excellence. Cup of Excellence. Thank you. Yeah, especially since Cup of Excellence has started to take hold in different origin countries, we're seeing the quality of coffees be elevated. But that is an interesting point that like a lot of coffees, you do see that, that they're not doing that. Is this distinctly like American? And then you've got kind of like your Icelandic countries doing like the third wave style, that really light roast. But that's not what is happening at a lot of the countries of origin. 
So what was that first shot you had there? Like, was it an Italian espresso that they had imported? Yeah, you, you'll probably laugh at this. Uh, it was at a hotel in Sao Paulo, and it was from a super automatic machine. So I literally pushed a button, and out came, you know, I don't remember had a grinder built in or if the coffee was pre-ground. So I, I didn't see the coffee at all. I don't know where it came from. And out, like, you know, the cup, a tiny little amount came out, and I drank it. And I was like, Whoa. <laughs> but now, I bet you if I went back now and tasted it, I'd probably think it was gross. You know? <laughs> right. so, but it was just that new experience and kind of opened my eyes. Um, and actually, one of my roommates in Brazil was this guy that was into coffee uh, as much as probably someone at that time at that location could be. And he had a French press. And everyone else thought he was crazy, didn't know what this thing was he was using. And, you know, they were used to making things a certain way. And he was kind of like this eccentric guy because he was, he would get some beans from uh, some place, uh, a different place in Rio, and he'd spend money on his coffee instead of spending like one dollar for a half pound of whatever from Brazil. So you spend your year in Brazil, you come back, you start reading everything about coffee. Is this doing all these studies? Is this something that you have something in mind long term that you're like, this is something I really want to get into, or is this something you're like, hey, this is something cool I didn't know about, and I just want to get into it? Yeah, it is just for pure personal interest and pleasure. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of just my personality is that I like to dive into things and learn a lot about them. And then it, it's a trend I've seen over the course of my life. I will latch onto something. I'll learn a lot about it. And then I'll move on to something else. You know, I'll be like, I know oh. that a little bit. <laughs> I'll exhaust, exhaust my interest in it. Um, you know, one example, when I was in college, my last year in college, I got super into chess and I was playing a lot of speed chess online. I'd play with friends. I'd play, you know, bullet chess, whatever. And I would watch YouTube videos, learn all these openings, memorizing a lot of things. I did that for one or two years and I haven't played chess in, you know, five years probably. I'm the exact same way. And I kind of did this analysis on myself where I go, why do I keep doing this? Like I get really into something, learn a certain amount about it. Then I go, okay, I'm content with how much I know about that. It's on to the next thing. And I look at it like a, like a curve, like a, a I guess a, not a linear curve, but in a non-exponential curve where the return on investment of learning about something over time, when you first start learning about something, mm -hmm. you can learn so much because you know nothing about it. Then it gets to a certain point that you reach that like the hour of studying at the beginning is you're learning way less when you get to that turning point. So I, I find myself in the same situation, like wanting to learn about new things. And then I get to that point. And I'm like, okay, I know a lot about this, but I want to go to the next thing and start, start from square one and learn all about that. And that's why I asked about the friends and family as you're going into coffee. Cause the experience I had was as I was learning about coffee and like doing, using all my free time to learn about it, people around me were like, yeah, Rob's just like weirdly into coffee. It's like, just don't ask him about it. It'll, it'll start a whole conversation that you don't want to be a part of. He'll be over it in a little bit. <laughs> or just like, no, we don't want to know how much uh, about all the things he's learning about in coffee. Yeah. So as, as you're learning about coffee, nothing really in mind to go with that. What are you doing at the time back in the States? Well, so I was inspired to learn more and work in the coffee industry. And so I came back and I got a job uh, at a Dunn Brothers and I just wanted to work in coffee in any capacity. So I, I went out to the Dunn Brothers and I started as a barista and I, you know, had been reading about all these things theoretically and had been drinking some coffee on my own. But that was my first time working as a barista. And I, it was one of the most fun jobs I've ever had. You know, it was just the people you work with, it was fun. We had good camaraderie at that store and I'm still friends with people who I worked with. Um, and just making drinks on the bar. And when, it, when the line 
people are lining up and you're in kind of go mode and you're just in the state of flow, you know, flow you're o- only thinking about milk, steam, espresso, is putting it all together and that's all you're thinking about. It's time flies and it, it was fun. That flow state is a very real thing as a barista where it's like you're almost really stressed, but then you get to a point that you're so stressed and there's such a big line that you get in that amazing flow state. I, I experienced the same thing when I was a barista. And for those listening, uh, Dunn Brothers is a local chain of coffee stores. And what they did is they're one of the first cafes in the industry to have the roaster in every single cafe. So they were way ahead of the curve of having roasters and roasting on site at each of their cafes. Is that something that drew you to them? No, to be honest, I was just looking at any barista job, and they this was one that I got hired for, which is important, and also was <laughs> near where I lived. So I, I biked to work. You know, I worked there for less than a year, but I biked year-round. I remember being on the road in the winter wearing snowboard goggles and going the mile down there. and So uh, it just happened to be where I landed. Um, but after, from that experience, I wanted to stay in coffee. I wanted to learn more. Um, and... This is actually, coincidentally, where I met my uh, partner, the the founder of Zoe's Bakery, uh, a guy named Jack McCreary. He was a barista at this Dunn Brothers as well. And we got connected there. We worked together, had, uh, you know, just liked each other, but also felt like, you know, we could work together. And we had started dreaming up these things we could do together. And we didn't have any specific plans. We were like, oh, we could do a cold brew cart or let's do like a little little pop-up in a brewery or something. You know, we were just bouncing ideas around, always were thinking about what what it could be, uh, how we, we could progress, how we could kind of start our own thing. And we actually got very close. So we, I, I knew an owner of um, uh, a brewery, and some breweries have started building out coffee programs. Mm-hmm. But at that time, I don't think any of them in the Twin Cities did. So it was kind of dead space in the morning. And so our idea that we thought was super smart and other people obviously have the same idea, but was to utilize this dead space at a brewery in the morning and run some kind of coffee program. Uh, And then, you know, that would segue into their beer or whatever, cider, wine, whatever they're doing in the afternoon. And so we, we planned out this whole thing. We didn't buy anything, uh, but we were going to do some kind of AeroPress uh, coffee cart and had this whole menu planned out and what we were going to do and knew what we were going to buy. And we had this in with this guy who owned a brewery. And we had, had a meeting, went well. We're going to the second meeting, which we were hoping to sign a lease with him. And he just shows up to the meeting and says, sorry, guys, it's not going to work out. And uh, so. What was know, the reasoning for the sudden back out? Uh, you know, it was a shock to us because, you know, we felt like he could have just called us on the phone and been like, sorry, guys. But instead, we like went there in person. But he, he's kind of space constrained. And I think it wasn't a big priority. He kind of liked the idea at first. And since we knew him, he was entertaining it. And I suppose he just thought more about it seriously. And when we were actually going to sign a lease, that's kind of probably when the concrete moment hit him. And he's like, well, you know, maybe this isn't, isn't what I want to do. And then what's, what's the mindset at that point? So as it goes, oh, you know, we start from, uh, start from scratch and try to find a new place. Or did you go, oh, this is, was it disheartening enough that you wanted to stop? Or did you want to continue to press on? You know, <laughs> kind of both. So I, I had been this whole year uh, working at, at, at uh, Dunn Brothers. I had been thinking about what, you know, what's next for me. Uh, Jack had been thinking about what's next for him, too. And this was one idea we had. I had been applying to grad schools during this time. And so the timing of this worked out where he, he said no. 
we could have either kind of doubled down and tried to figure it out, um, which we didn't do. And I kind of, I decided to go to grad school. So I had this out. I was like, well, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. I'm, I'm going to do this other thing. Uh, Jack, on the other hand, doubled down. And that's when he started searching seriously about cafes he could run. And he ended up uh, buying this place um, on Lake Street and Bryant, you know, Zoe's was. So was that Carly's Cafe at the time? It was, yeah. yeah. It was initially a Dunn Brothers. Then it went uh, became Carly's Cafe. And when Jack moved in, it had, I think it had been vacant for... Uh, a number of months. Was but. this something as he's uh, buying Zoe's, are you still like in communication and while you're in grad school hearing about his plans or did you see the news and be like, oh wow, he's doing it? No, we definitely stayed in touch. I was sort of living vicariously through it. You know, I always wanted to know. I was like, well, how's it going? Like what's, you know, cause this was kind of like the dream we had, right? Yeah, I was going to do say. something like this and I kind of backed out and went, you know, went back to school, but he was, he continued and did, you know, did this followed through. So I was, I was very intrigued. Uh, and so we stayed in touch. I always, you know, I was living out in DC, uh, last year and I had been always asking about him trying to, you know, feel like if there's a place for me at Zoe's, could I come back and be a part of this? And so after I graduated and I decided to move back with my wife here to Minnesota, um, we had stayed in touch, been in contact, um, and talked about building out kind of more of the coffee program because they had been going with a, a wholesaler. And so I came back and we decided to start roasting our own coffee. And so that's when I came on board on the Zoe's team. I was to kind of flesh this out a little bit. So I know how you were roasting your coffee, but could you please, because the second you said this, I was like, okay, we're the same type of person because tell me when you say we're going to start roasting, what were your steps in getting a roaster and starting to roast for that program? So, well, I'll have to back step, uh, take a step back here and give yeah. you a little more backstory, but while I was in grad school out in D.C., uh, being the coffee nerd that I am, I like to uh, be up to date on my Sprudge coffee jobs listings. So I'll go on. on so Sprudge is a, a third wave coffee website, uh, has city guides and int- articles of interest. Yeah, awesome resource for specialty coffee. And they have a, a jobs board for any, anything in specialty coffee. And I would always, every couple months, you know, just look at it out of my own interest, see what's out there and kind of fantasize in my mind like, oh, maybe I could do that or maybe I could, you know, go here and do this and never really do anything. But when I was in D.C., uh, I saw a job posted in D.C., which is rare. Most jobs are on the West Coast uh, or, you know, Chicago, somewhere else or New York City, very rarely mm-hmm. in D.C. Um, and it was at this green coffee importer, something I had never thought of, never even entertained really but it was here it was in the same city I'm living in uh and I had some extra time I wanted to work part-time this job was part-time so I got in touch with the guy uh interviewed had a couple interviews with him talked a bunch with the company and started working for Gold Mountain Coffee Growers which is this oh nice uh, um the coffee you have yeah, yeah, right yeah. now uh is from them I, d- I never made that connection I did not know that so yeah uh I worked for them for uh about a year, a little, little over a year, I guess. And uh, it's great experience. Learned a lot about uh, coffee farming. Um, so th- this company, Gold Mountain Coffee Growers, is a group of farms in Nicaragua that basically use economies of scale to combine their processing and their uh, logistics to export. And their whole thing is extremely rigorous, 100% you know, transparency to the farm level and then they export all these micro lots to the U.S. and elsewhere, Europe and Australia, anywhere in the world, pretty much. Um, 
And so they're trying to fight poverty um, at origin through the quality of their coffee. You know, it's, it's a for-profit business. It's not a, you know, charity. They don't solicit donations. Uh, they don't do uh, certifications like fair trade or organic, things like that. Um, they're, the whole business model is built on the quality of the coffee, paying higher premiums to the farmers. So, you know, they have awesome natural processed coffees. Uh, they do wash processed, honey processed. Um, I think, you know, I can't remember how many farms they're working with right now, but it's, it's probably like 15 to 20. And the quality allows them to tr- sell for more in the U.S., the green coffee, uh, and then thus funnel it more back to the farmers at origin. So I, I think, you know, I can't say enough about them and the good work they're doing and the sustainability, both in terms of environmental sustainability and uh, economic sustainability for the livelihood of farmers. But it's, it's an incredible organization uh, that I learned a lot working with them and that just furthered my interest in coffee. And so that's that's a long backstory. Well, so what, what was your role at Gold Mountain at, as that part-time job? Sure. So at, at the time, uh, the U.S. operations is pretty lean. There's uh, three. There were three of us in the U.S., the, the owner, myself, and uh, an intern. And most of the operations happens in Nicaragua. They're, they have uh, a couple different managers working down there and a bunch of people working on the farm. They, they own their own farm there as well as working with their neighbors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they employ people. They, you know, you've seen the bags. All the bags are hand painted. Uh, they make it a whole community effort, right? They employ a lot of people to pick uh, the coffee at the the peak ripeness every single day. They have people passing through the farms picking instead of just stripping the trees all at once. You know, they go through harvest every day, pick the right cherries. Uh, people processing. It, it's just incredible. Uh, so I've been down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should say that, and I've seen. I did some visits to the farms. I've seen the whole process, and it just gives you a new appreciation, as I'm sure you'll see it when you go to Peru, yeah. of how incredible this, this product is. And when you come back to the U.S., and, you know, if, you don't, if you're not in the specialty coffee world and you, you know, think of coffee as being this super cheap commodity, uh, once you go and see an operation like that, it's, it's crazy how, to think how cheap you can get coffee. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. Yeah, that's the biggest feedback I've heard is just the – when you look at coffee and the price per pound, you're just looking at it as a coffee roaster or as a shop. You're just looking at it as a number. You're going, this is the number I expect, and anything more is expensive. Anything less is cheap. And the biggest feedback I hear is that once you have that experience, you realize how much goes into a pound of coffee and that the price is actually really, really low. And that's that's one of the things I've always loved about specialty coffee, and that's, once again, why we're so excited to go because this will be our first trip in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, even if you if you're into specialty coffee and you go to your local roaster and you pay twenty dollars for a, a twelve ounce bag of roasted coffee and you think that's expensive, I mean, if if you knew everything that went into that, it's it's cheap, it's amazing. You know, most of the value add there comes once it gets to the U.S. or once it gets to the Western world and we roast it. You know, that's that's uh, in terms of I'm not saying the value of the coffee. I'm saying you know along the economic chain, yeah. the price we pay, most of that money is ending up in the, the, the roasting or, you know, it, it's not going back to the origin mm-hmm. for paying, you know, $3 a pound green uh, and you're buying it for $20 a pound, you know, not thinking about the, sh- the, uh, the moisture loss. Most of that money is staying here, yeah. right? And so getting coffee, $3 a pound green, considering how much work is going into it, that's wild. 
So outside, outside of being the best spokesperson for for Golden yeah, Never, right. what was your job there? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you're all good. I, I remember you did ask that question. No, I wanted you to go. That was a good tangent. I didn't want to stop your role. Um, so uh, I was uh, basically the marketing and logistics manager. And so I, I ran a lot of the, 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 the U.S. operation. M- most of the operation of when the coffee came to the U.S., we, we imported it to a warehouse we had in New Jersey and then would send it from there to our, our customers, which are mostly roasteries. Mm-hmm. And so I would coordinate between our customers and getting, making sure the coffee gets to them, uh, you know, doing contracts for the coffee um, and then marketing and kind of whatever else needs to be done. You know, it's a lot of the work is, is the sales cycle is very seasonal or it's on kind of an annual basis because the, the harvest happens at one point of the year coffee comes in at one point we send it out to the customers mostly at one point because we try to pre-contract most of the coffee um and so you know depending on what time of year the work would be very different but as a small operation uh i gained a lot of experience on how to run a small business just in general um and so i learned a lot of skills that way i think i gained a lot of confidence as well um so it was a great experience got to do a little bit of a lot Mm -hmm. and so working there inspired me not only to stay in the coffee industry, it's kind of all my experiences have, um, but to find a place for myself in a way that I could kind of run run my own show or have more say in the program instead of working, you know, some, figuring out somebody else's vision, mm-hmm. being able to build out my own a little bit. And I, I gained the confidence through this experience to do that. And so... Okay, I got to tie this back into how you're saying about... Uh, Roasting coffee at Zoe's. Yeah. So, okay, how do we tie this back together? So this whole time I'd been working there, I'd been talking with my friend Jack about what's happening at Zoe's. We decided to start roasting our own coffee. While I was uh, in D.C., I, because I had uh, access to these awesome green coffee samples, I bought a small uh, one-kilo roaster, an Alio Bullet, same, and, same one I bought when I was <laughs> when I was obsessed with coffee. I was like, I want to roast my own, so I got the Bullet Alio R1. Yep, an awesome roaster. It's great for home roasters. Also great for not home roasters. Uh, <laughs> but I I got it because uh, I did a lot of research on different kind of roasters. People had awesome things to say about it. Uh, the company was cool. Um, they were they were constantly working on improving. You know the software that goes with it, the actual machine itself, the different uh, models over time kept getting better. Like they would add a infrared bean sensor to sense the temperature of the beans in the machine. Um, and it was uh, electric. So I lived in a, an apartment in downtown DC and I could go out on the balcony and I could plug it in and I could roast coffee out on the balcony. Uh, didn't need a gas hookup. So that it was perfect. I so, did the same thing in a garage. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, so I started experimenting, just teaching myself how to roast. I'd read a lot of books. Uh, I'd watch videos on YouTube. I would try things, you know, experiment, and just kind of got into the home roasting on my own. And so over this time, I would, I would, you know, get some samples I thought were pretty good, and I'd pack them up and I'd ship them out to Jack, and I'd be like, "Hey, man, like you thought about roasting at Zoe's? Like here's here's what we could do." And I pestered him enough that I guess he thought it was a good idea, and so moved back to Minnesota with this little one kilo roaster, and. Uh, that's how we rocked it at Zoe's. Yeah, I was roasting uh, about 80 pounds a week on uh, this little roaster, spending, you know, like 30 hours 
just behind this thing doing batch after batch after batch. After you left on our first meeting, that was the first thing Jeff was like, I cannot believe that that's how they were roasting was on that bullet because that's he now uses that one for our samples. And he's like, I can't even imagine roasting for the full program. And he's like, that's like beast mode to be able to do that. Yeah, it was not uh, it's not meant for longevity. I got a lot of pod, good podcasting in, got a lot of music listening in, but, uh, you know, it's kind of meditative. <laughs> that is a true labor of love. Like you have to be so into what you're doing to rock a one kilo roaster to supply an entire cafe with what you're doing. And I was like, I think this guy thinks the same as me where it's like, yeah, I can do that. What's it? It's just hard work. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and so obviously now uh, Zoe's in uptown uh, is now closed. So uh, obviously 2020, everybody knows the story. Uh, what, what happened with Zoe's and, kind of how did it spawn this new location? Were those uh, independent decisions or were those things that were kind of hand in hand on how that decision making went? So a couple things kind of happened at the same time for Zoe's. Um, they did, you know, in the summer of 2020, business was pretty good. Um, they did just fine, actually, because, you know, the coffee industry in general is, is, pretty, is a pretty easy thing to do takeout with, coffee and pastries, baked goods. Uh, you know, the model's not built on... Uh, people sitting down for an hour and having a, a nice meal. Um, a lot of people take it to go anyways. Yeah. But uh, come December, obviously, with the uh, the, the second shutdown, gov- uh, governor-mandated shutdown, people were less uh, enthused, I think. One, people, I think, were tired of COVID in general, and so they weren't so gung-ho about supporting maybe your local businesses as they were the first go-round. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is it's winter, and so people are less inclined to go out and know walk around and have a coffee or take it to the, the uh or just go outside in the general. lake <laughs> yeah right so it was a, a very different experience so um but for the past year uh zoe's had been looking uh, at new locations they had been planning to expand that had always been the goal and so that we were building an off-site bakery originally all the baking was done in the basement at the lake street location and it was pretty constrained uh, super hot down there. There was, I guess, they had some kind of AC, but it didn't work very well. Uh, you can imagine all these ovens in a basement. Um, so they had they moved the the baking offsite to Eden Prairie, which is where we bake now. And they had been looking for another cafe location. And uh, in negotiations with uh, where we're moving to now in Loring Park at the Marquee Building at fourteen hundred Nicolette. Um, and so. You know, it was kind of a thing of timing. It got stretched maybe a little too thin uh, when the thing in December happened. And uh, the the lease was coming up in February at the Lake Street location. And so it was kind of just a culmination of things where we obviously we'd have loved to have closed there and opened Loring Park, you know, kept that continuity going. But it just worked out. So we had to we ended up closing Lake Street February. And now uh, the build out is happening right now in Loring Park had been delayed. Uh, a number of times, but we're looking at June, you know, the beginning of June to open. So there's a little bit of discontinuity, not ideal, but it's uh, to answer your question, your original question, uh, it had always been something that we had been planning on. You know, we weren't planning on closing down, but. And, that, and, that, and that's about the time that we met, and I get an email that says, hey, we are considering working with other roasters for our coffee. Uh, we do happen to have a full palette of Nicaragu- Nicaraguan coffee 
that we would want to implement into the roasting program. So I was like, I go, huh, this is a first for me. I've got someone reaching out, but they've got their own green coffee. And so obviously today makes it all make way more sense. But at the time you go, okay, they were roasting their own. This makes some sense. So I am curious as to like the decision-making process. You were roasting uh, for that location and then for the new location to start seeking someone to roast or roast with. Yeah, so you probably thought I was uh, maybe thinking I was a little crazy roasting all that coffee on that little roaster. Uh, and then when I told you I had a pallet of green coffee, you're like, wow, he was going to roast that all of that on that little roaster. When, when I uh, say crazy, that's, that, <laughs> when I say crazy, it's a good thing. I go, that, that, that is how I think that I go, well, we have a one pound roaster and we have coffee. We can do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, before, before the, uh, the winter kind of shutdown happened, um, Zoe's had actually been looking at opening Loring Park and uh, a third location too in a in a food hall, and so when I was building out this roasting program and I was uh, buying the green coffee, I was thinking I had in my mind I knew that on the horizon there was going to be three locations, and so I bought coffee planning on having to roast for three locations. Uh, so I bought a bunch of coffee, which in hindsight was a big risk and probably not that smart. And I just figured, you know, I got the small roasting machine, but it'll figure itself out. You know, we're just going to get it going and figure it out later. Figure it out later, right? <laughs> so, and we're figuring it out. That's yeah, how we met, right? Exactly. And so, you know, COVID has forced a lot of places to pivot and think on their feet. And that's what we're doing. And so I reached out to you with this uh, coffee, realized that this little machine wasn't, you know, going to cut it and was kind of occupying most of my time, which is probably not the best use of my time. And so... Yeah, we're, we're excited to, to work with you on the Zoe's house blend. And that was that was my, my the first thought I had as I'm reading this. I go, okay, there's so many wild card factors here. Because, like, we'll get incoming leads, and you, you never really know, unless you've met the person or you have a previous relationship or, hey, I was referred by so-and-so. If it's a cold wholesale lead, you're kind of looking at it going like, okay, I know Zoe's, but that's not there anymore. So this is going to be a new location. I wonder what's happening there. And then this, they have coffee. I'm like, I wonder if it's any good. Cause like no shade on anyone, but everyone will say the coffee they're serving is really good. Oh, for sure. And so you brought us samples of it, Jeff Rose. And it was like, okay, thank God. This is actually really, really great coffee. Even uh, with the age on it too. Cause that was another thing is we're going, okay, it's a full palette. They're opening in May and Jeff tasted. He's like, considering the age on this, it's really good. And this style of coffee is going to hold up really nice. Like those parts were like, okay, he, like you call it, knows what he's talking about, that this coffee is actually great. And I guess really until this episode, I didn't know that you worked for him. So that makes a lot more sense that you'd be really knowledgeable about that. And then coming in, speaking with you and tasting coffee with you. It's like, oh, okay. So many of those unknown variables in just one meeting were like, okay, this is a conversation I'm willing to begin because all these things line up. And this is somebody we like want to work with, which as a supplier, sometimes you kind of have to be like, this is going to be a big project taking on a whole new custom roast, a whole new cafe. What are the potential like downfalls of this? And in that one meeting, I go, okay, these somebody that's quality focused knows what they're talking about. Great palate. This is going to be a great partnership if we can come together. Yeah, awesome. And I'm I was couldn't have been more pleased that that's how you approached it and that this is how uh you know our kind of co-branded coffee is going to work out. Um and even more props to you. The whole reason I reached out to you in the first place was because of your podcast. You know, I I didn't know you. You didn't know me. Uh Jack, uh my partner Jack had 
he'd been listening to your podcast, you know, I don't know, since the beginning or, you know, early on. And uh, he told me about your podcast. And I think the first time he told me, I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Everybody has a podcast. And then, you know, months went by and somehow it came up again. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll listen to this podcast. And I, I listened to one or two of them. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, who is this dude? And so I like <laughs> over the course of a week, I think I list like I caught up all the way from the beginning. I, just, I listened on 1.8 speed, which is terrifying and, to me. <laughs> that's that's why being in here is kind of surreal, because I heard you play the intro. And I was like, wow, this sounds so slow. I, I, I listened to it at, you know, faster pace just to get it. <laughs> get it well, going. That was the funniest thing is the fo- first phone call we had, I, like started off kind of awkward. And I was like, and you're like, I, I just have to admit, this is a little weird because like I, I've heard your voice a lot, but in almost two times speed. And so I feel like you're slow, but I feel like we've talked. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. So tell me about what's going on. Yeah, that was, uh, that was fun. So, so <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the new location. Um, how, so, so when you obviously first found the location, this was going to be the second location, but now it's shifted into your first location, but, or, you know, primary location, I right. should say, how did you determine this location as a spot that you would want to open a cafe? So that's a, that's a great question. Um, that was, Jack's doing. I was not a part of that. Um, I've become, you know, at, at that point in time, I think he had actually been looking for spots and negotiating with people before I came on the team and even started the roasting program. So this is over a year ago. Mm. Uh, and so I, you know, I don't know how he got in touch with these people or how, how this whole thing shook down. That Mm -hmm. would be his end of things. So Um, what, what point in the process of that new location did you, did you join the team? Oh man! So the location had been picked. Had it be, had like any build out begun, or no. like the coffee obviously hadn't been selected, and all that good stuff. So we knew a new location was on the horizon when I joined the team and I started roasting and doing doing the coffee stuff because that was factored into my coffee purchasing plans. Mm. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just I, it's just taken you know maybe not having a background in in you know brick and mortar or really running a business on my own anywhere. It's kind of shocking how long these things take. You know, you kind of, in my mind at least, maybe because it's the generation I'm in where you can click a button and buy something and have it delivered tomorrow, uh, I kind of would assume, you know, oh, I'm going to open a location. Uh, I negotiated it already. I'll have it open, you know, in a month or two months or whatever. And it's like, wow, this has taken eight months. That seems wild, but, you know, that's probably par for the course. I don't know. Yeah, especially when, like working with contractors, and this is the norm where it's like, yeah, we'll probably have it done around then. You're like, but no, I need an exact date. They're like, can't do that. You're like, oh, okay. And then obviously getting the state involved and having to get all the licensing and everything is a whole nother story. But that is a wild thing. There's so many moving parts that each yeah. small little delay, they start to uh, compound on each other. And all of a sudden, it, it's like the old adage that's like, Hey, just plan on spending twice as much and it takes three times as long. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think that's a valuable lesson to have seen here to know, you know, going forward. It's obviously you have to negotiate with the developer of this apartment building, work with them. Then you got to get an architect involved to figure out what you're actually doing in the space. Uh, and you have to have a general contractor, right? And it's, it's on and on down the line. You got to have all these people involved, get them all uh, moving together at the same time to get stuff actually going. But I'm happy to say, you know, I was down by the location today and there's framing up things are things are moving now and uh 
It's looking good. Starting to look like a place you could sell coffee out of. Right, right. <laughs> is is the, the whole look and feel of it, are, were you aiming and are you all aiming for like a similar look and feel to the original location or are you kind of tailoring it to the new location? No, 100% uh, tailoring it to the new spot. So the old location was a former Dunn Brothers and then an independent store and then, I mean, Zoe's independent too. But, you know, it had these different iterations uh, and it kind of felt homemade in there. You know, it's like your neighborhood coffee joint, uh, good service, good product. But the interior, I think, was kind of lacking for that uh, immersive experience. Yeah. Uh, if you really want to show, you know, a lot of third wave places, they're showcasing the feeling of being in there. The ambiance and the architecture of a well-designed space goes hand in hand with awesome coffee and yeah awesome baked goods versus the whole like oh we're working with the space with what we got and hey it was already a coffee shop and the the cost it would take to completely revamp a place that had already been a coffee shop the the cost benefit analysis there is so much more difficult where you're like we have a working space maybe right. we can just make this work for what we have versus a scratch build out yeah. so were you involved in the discussions of like uh what the space should be what the design should be how this new place should look only at the tail end. So most of that happened before I was in, involved uh, in the new cafe location. I mean, before, it was happening while I was roasting coffee, but I, my, my role at Zoe's at that point was strictly on the coffee side of mm. things. Um, Especially because you had a full-time job just yeah, roasting the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so now I've, I've only recently come on uh, more in terms of operating uh, the new cafe location. So I've only come out at the tail end. Most of it had all been designed uh, and pretty much negotiated. And that's why I don't know kind of the backstory of how they picked this location uh, over anywhere yeah. else. But I think the big calling uh, or draw to this place is that it is a brand new build out. Mm-hmm. We can make it our own. It is, has been designed by an architect to be kind of this beautiful showcase place that we think is going to be fitting for our, what we, you know, toot Zoe's horn are some awesome pastries, baked goods, top quality coffee, something that's, that's fitting our image of what we're trying to do. Uh, you know, we love the original Zoe's location. Uh, it's not a knock on that. It's just had more of a kind of neighborhood, your neighborhood coffee shop feel because the interior was kind of third hand and you know, there's only so much you can do to it based on what's been done before. Yeah, plus, I mean, the first location or first anything is such a big learning experience. You kind of learn what customers love, what they don't, what separates like a great like third wave specialty type shop versus the the neighborhood. What are the pros and cons to both the types of customers that attracts the types of things you can sell. And so when you say like I have an idea in my head or like an image in my mind when you say that like third wave that specialty feel of a shop what are the types of things that from a like aesthetic or design whether it's your location or in general are things that you think separate like the neighborhood location type place from like that specialty shop yeah that's a that's a good question i don't know that i've i've thought about that you know i i I love cafe culture i i'll travel to go to a, a cool coffee shop and so i know i know what it feels like to be in a space like that i don't know if i've analyzed it necessarily, but uh, I think it comes down to design. You know, you go in, in a place that has uh, something kind of unique. There, cafes are all kind of the same, right? They all have a service bar where they make your drinks and a POS and places to sit. But it's all it's all on how it's arranged and in the design uh, and what kind of extra touches they can put in there. This is strictly from you know the feeling you get not interacting with people necessarily, yeah. right? Because of course, customer service is huge in this industry. Um, but 
my, my favorite all time cafe was the Bachelor Farmer Cafe. Uh, rest in peace. You know, that place was awesome. And as soon as you come in there, you, you kind of look around, your, your eyes are drawn to these, these uh, geometric tiles of different color that are splashed everywhere and the exposed painted bricks and the warm wood that's on the countertops and the marble bar that kind of bends with a sleek espresso machine there. And it's just all these little touches that come together. And you, you even if you're not noticing every little aspect uh, individually, you get this feeling, right? That you're like, oh, man. I feel good in here. Like this, these big windows, this light is coming in. Like this is a cool place. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, I brought this up. Uh, obviously, we just had hot hands on a recent episode, but you just brought up that your friend had just gone in there. And it's like this very similar thing. It's like sometimes you walk into a place and you can kind of just feel what to expect before you ever talk to anyone. And I think that, I mean, their building's a great example. It's in like kind of like a, you know, a development and it's kind of a generic outdoor. And then the second you get in, you, there's just a feeling you get when you're in a specialty cafe and you go, oh, the, there's, the attention to detail is kind of the way I put it, that you go, when you start to poke around a place just visually, attention to detail and design, you go, okay, it's giving you a feeling that this is the type of place that if they're paying this much attention to the design and feel of their cafe, that they're probably paying even more attention to the products that they're serving. Yeah, I think that's, that's the main thing that you're communicating to your customer subconsciously is if you, you come into a place, that, that's all marketing is, right? Uh, it's the design of a cafe is essentially marketing in some aspect. You're communicating at some level to your customer that we're paying attention to the details. And so if you can visually see that, you will subconsciously expect us to be doing the same thing with your product. And obviously it's not always the case. You can't guarantee those two things join up. But if you have a vision for a cafe and you can combine those two things together, it goes hand in hand. Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of the downfall, unfortunately, of kind of that more neighborhood homey feel is like, I've been in a shop like that and it was a great coffee experience and great pastries, but it surprised me because you walk in and it had that feel and it was like, oh, this is actually really great coffee versus the other way around of like, especially with social media, especially with like Yelp and people like Google maps and images and being able to just look up what a place is before you go. Those things are becoming increasingly important for people to decide if they're going to go out of their way for a cup of coffee. And there is this thing now where it's like people look at something and go, I assume I like it or I don't before ever having tried it, unless you've been around long enough and developed a reputation. Otherwise, like opening with that design segment in mind is such an important part to attract customers and to like get the coverage and the pictures and everything out there needed to be able to get people to walk through your door in the first place. It's like it's, it's basically the packaging for your operations is like this is how we see ourselves and how, how we think we uh, the quality that we demand. A hundred percent. And, you know, just personally speaking, how I feel in a space, uh, I think is very important to me. And so the design plays a big role into that. You know, if there's, if there's lots of windows and lots of natural light, it's going to feel airy. It's going to feel light. You're going to feel like you want to linger in this space. Uh, assuming the weather's good, you know, maybe even if the weather's bad, you want to linger there cause it's, it's warm, you know? Uh, and, so it's, it's these little things that I think I think matter a lot. And, uh, you know, like I said before, there's no guarantee you can, you can uh, well, go, it, as a customer, there's no guarantee that some place that has that visual and that feeling to it will also have a product that lives up to that feeling and, and, and that visual. But as, for me, as, as like a, a person planning this out and a part owner of this concept, 
you know, that's, that's the goal. We're striving for that. And that's, that's the vision we're hoping to build out. Yeah. It's, I mean, I say it about packaging that like great packaging can get anybody to buy it once, but it's what's inside the package that will get a lifelong customer. It's the same way with design. That great design is going to get somebody to show up once, but if they have a bad experience, whether it's customer service, whether it's the coffee they're tasting, the pastries they're eating, they're not going to come back just for that. And if there's one trend that I think is going to return in a huge way and even exceed what was happening pre-COVID is people are going to seek spaces that make them feel good. We've all been cooped up for so long that I think everybody just kind of takes for granted that you can go to awesome spaces. When Now with things opening back up, the vaccines rolling out, I think there's going to be a huge resurgence of people going out and seeking out spaces that make them feel good. And so that that is a really big insight you have of just the feeling you have when you're in a place is so huge. And to be able to do that from scratch, I think, is such an advantage. And you know, if there's one thing you can take as kind of a, a blessing in disguise about uh, the original Zoe's ending it at that lease is now you have this intense focus on the one location and that attention to detail can be hyper focused into every aspect of this new cafe. Yeah, for sure. And we definitely learned uh, this whole Zoe's team learned a lot at the first location. Um, and not that that's a trial run in any means, but we can take the lessons we've learned from running that first place and we can apply this to the second one and just try to keep improving uh, you know, from an operational standpoint, from a product standpoint, from a customer service standpoint. Um, so, it, it, you know, it's great. Yeah. We're, we're, we're excited. <laughs> if anyone asked me about fall, I'd be like, yeah, we're still in a trial run. We're, <laughs> like, we're, yep. we're proud of what we do and just figuring out along the way. Unfortunately, people are digging it. Maybe that feeling, you know, never goes away. <laughs> it, it definitely doesn't. It most definitely doesn't. Uh, so what is the planned opening date? Uh, do you have one set in stone or are you keeping it more flexible with all the complications? More, so keeping it flexible, we're, we're shooting for early June. You know, initially we're hoping Memorial Day weekend, but it's looking more like uh, first week in June, hopefully. And, you know, right before coming here, I actually came from a meeting at Lakes and Legends Brewery. Oh, that's great, brewery. Which uh, they're right in our neighborhood. We're one block away from them. I'll talk about an amazing space in there. Yeah, that's it's uh, great beer, great people, beautiful space. It's huge. Um, but the reason I bring them up is because we're, we're going to do a pop-up in there leading up to our opening uh, so starting in May, first weekend in May, we'll be in there on Saturdays, um, slinging some pastries, kind of getting our brand out into the neighborhood, telling people we're moving in, you know, around the corner uh, in June. And also this, uh, you know, you're talking about being hyper-focused on, on the one thing, which we want to be, but we're always thinking about other things. <laughs> so we're... Oh, we're, I can't relate to that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, we're happy to announce that after this meeting, um, I think I can say this. On yeah, this, podcast, this will come out uh, in a couple of weeks. So I think you got a little time. Somebody will get mad at me or if they do get mad at me, they'll let me know. But uh, <laughs> we're also launching a Zoe's pizza concept, Neapolitan style pizza in Lakes and Legends. So on Saturday evenings. So if you're in in May, if you go to Lakes and Legends, which I recommend that you do, uh, you can buy pizza made by Zoe's with your beer utilizing that bakery that you have uh using where you're building on your pastries or how are you cooking the pizzas right so we we have a we bought a little pizza oven that you know it's uh it's actually it's electric it's like the alio bullet of pizza (laughs) (laughs) plug it in and it gets up to 900 degrees whoa we fire our pizzas in about 100 seconds so you order it we'll we'll put it together for you fire it super fast get it out to you it's it's basically like a wood-fired pizza but without 
wood firing. Yeah, you know? that's such a smart way to think too because I've always – you look at buildings and you see someone closes at 1 or you see a brewery opens up at 4 and you're like, gosh, that is a great building that is not doing much during those times and talking about like to the days where you were talking to that first brewery of saying, hey, maybe we could do something here. I think that's an awesome way to be able to collaborate with businesses around you and it's it's those types of relationships that – it can't be stressed enough, word of mouth, about new spaces. And so to be in somewhere like Lakes and Legends, especially people stopping by, having a couple beers, just, you know, shooting the shit with the bartender about like, hey, what's new? What's going on? And be like, oh, you got to stop by this new place around the corner. You go, that's one of the biggest recommendations I give people is like, don't overthink marketing. It's like the more people tell other people about it, Mm -hmm. the better you're going to do. And so to have that great relationship with lakes and legends and be able to while you're serving pizza by the way coffee shops opening up that's i, I think such a smart way that makes sense to me immediately some people might be like oh pizza huh <laughs> yeah you know it's uh we're excited about it we think the pizza is awesome i mean is that going to be something you continue after you open the cafe we're yeah so speaking of trial runs uh we're doing just saturdays in may and we're hoping to make it if customer response is good um, you know, we keep the relationship good, which I don't see why we wouldn't. Uh, we're hoping to make it permanent. Yeah. So turn this pizza pop-up long-term plan would be to have it continually offered at Lakes and Legends because they, they currently don't have an in-house food option. You know, they work with some neighboring businesses and they get food trucks, mm-hmm. but you know, the competition for breweries and food trucks, I think is pretty fierce. Well, and food trucks in general, these a days. lot of work to coordinate. So if you can have an on-site food option that's kind of there on a you know permanent basis, that's uh, positive for all parties involved. Yeah, their brewery's killing it out there with just like straight up like Haggy's fro- frozen pizza, and they're killing the food program <laughs> game. So to have a scratch-made pizza in, I can't believe there's an electric oven that gets up to 900 degrees. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's uh, it's cool. It's only about 30 pounds too. Sits on a tabletop, so that's why I'm calling it the Alio Bullet of. Pizza. That's awesome. (laughs) I can see myself doing it on on my balcony in D.C. Um, I love the way you think about business, and honestly, so excited to work with you. It wasn't something we took lightly. Obviously, we're always seeking new customers, but as we've grown, we've had a couple relationships that, like, didn't work out as we wanted. And you go, and you look back and kind of realize, you go, oh, we were just jumping on any opportunity. And so to have someone like yourself now knowing that you work for a coffee importer, but just even that first meeting of tasting coffee with you, hearing how intentional you were about what kind of flavor profile you wanted for your customers and what you were trying to do with the new concept. You go, this is something we really want to work with them after that first meeting. So we're super stoked to launch with you. I can't wait to do it. The, I showed, I texted you a picture of the labels, how those are going to look. I think the whole thing is going to be really cool. And uh, I cannot wait to see the new space. And uh, yeah, we I'll definitely be in Lakes and Legends in May to get some of that uh, some of the alio bullet pizza yeah awesome i'd love to have you down awesome i think there's no better way to end it than right there and i will uh end it like i do every episode and say have a nice day